2: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America
1: NA member FDIC. And right now, Thomas Ruiz is an open book for Ray Leonard. Backs up against the
2: ropes.
0: This is one of the most unusual calls by a referee in the history of the sport. The first loss. A tremendous victory. Leonard fighting off the ropes. It happened. It happened. Number cut by Douglas. Down goes to, to the the and right hand shot.
3: Welcome, fire fans, once again to another episode of Legendary Night, brought to you by BTR Boxing Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Bastow, joined, as always, by Johnston Brown for this legendary episode, The Tale of Costa Zoo vs Ricky Hatton from 2005. Before we get into this episode, of course, go and check us out on social media, on Twitter, at Pod. Also, you can find the Facebook page, BTR Boxing Podcast, for all the latest episodes from all the series that we currently run. Now, if you've not already subscribed to the podcast, you can do so by checking us out on any available podcasting app. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spreaker, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM. Whichever one you're using, you can go and check us out on there. We're even on Spotify as well. If you just search Legendary Nights Podcast." you will find this podcast, amongst many other ones that we're currently putting out there for you. So, without further ado then, this is the next episode of Legendary Nights. This is the tale of Costa Zoo versus Ricky Hatton. This fight has to be the epitome of a fight inside... Of one of them old BT phone boxes that you used to see on the corner of your e street. <laughs> this fight, unbelievable. Kostya Zhu and Ricky Hatton from 2005. I was there. I can't say any more than, than that. It's hard to describe the feeling of being in one of the greatest atmospheres, if not the greatest atmosphere I've ever been a part of. And This fight is one that I've always wanted to get an in-depth breakdown into for the Legendary night series. Some may not consider this to be a legendary night as such, but in terms of British boxing, what this meant to British boxing and what this meant to us as Fyre fans, this for us was a definitive legendary night.
2: It certainly was for me as well. Ricky Hatton's performance against a pound for pound king in, in Costa it was, was brilliant. It really was. It, it had a bit of that, that massive fight feel. and It was the first time, in a long time that I really felt that. I mean, we, you know, we we speak fondly of the Nigel Ben and Eubank and Bruno days. This had that feeling. This had that feeling of those big nights, and this was one of them. It really, it gripped me. All the build up beforehand, as well as the actual fight itself, and, and the data for Ricky Atten against such a phenomenal fighter and Costa Zudo. I mean, I can't even imagine what it must have been like being there.
3: It looked amazing when I was watching it on my phone. <laughs> yeah, well, this is—I can't I'll tell you what. This is one of them fights that I don't think I will ever experience an atmosphere like that again. I've been to many concerts, and although it's a completely different scenario, being at a concert, you still get the atmospheric feeling of of all these people being in unison, and this was the same for this particular night of Unison, of, of Manchester coming together to see a guy that we love so much go on to finally, finally achieve greatness by winning the world title on this particular night. So, as always then, with the Legendary Night series, we will do a little bit of a deep dive into the careers leading up to this particular fight. So we're going to start off with the hitman, Ricky Hatton, and he turned professional on September the 11th, 1997, beating Colin McCauley in the first round, but... Only in his second fight against Robbie Alvarez he fought at Madison Square Garden on the undercard of another legendary night which we've covered which was Nazim Hamid versus Kevin Kelly, winning by decision. A year later, Ricky Hatton was awarded the Boxing Writers Club Young Boxer of the
2: Year. What a great start for him that was. Ah, oh, tremendous start. I mean, what what a great box for your career on you know, your second fighting fight at Madison Square Garden on Hammond Kelly fight. I mean, oh wow it's just brilliant isn't it and then to pick up the boxing writers young boxer of the year award he even said in his, in his book that he was just made up for that he actually went out and went straight out on the piss and celebrated <laughs> <laughs> as he does that's one thing we we'll always find with Ricky and I think the one thing about Ricky just, just briefly going off the subject here is that he's a guy that is you, he's, he's your, he's your normal fellow on the street isn't he really I think that's why we all loved him so much is because we all knew someone like Ricky. So, yeah, a great achievement, a great start to his career. But it was the nightmare before Christmas on December 19, 1998 for Ricky Hatton and his 10th professional fight against a tough journeyman in Paul Denton. And uh, in the second round, a bad cut opened up on his left eye following a clash of heads. Now, it was a, a real troubled fight for Hatton, but he did... Managed to get through. It was a good learning curve for him, and he managed to cut well. The corner managers cut well, and in the sixth round, he eventually floored Denton with a, with that trademark left hook that ended the contest. So, you know, albeit a good start, bad in terms of he got that really bad cut, and then uh, once the eye healed, Tommy Peacock was his next opponent at the Sports Centre in Oldham. Which is where you're from, or you, you support Oldham, didn't you? Sean? Bad, I do uh, indeed. So uh, Hatton put Tommy down with a left hook before backing him into the corner and finishing him off with a body shot. One of the lovely, beautiful body shots that we always love to see from, from Ricky Hatton. And it won in the vacant central area, light welterweight title.
3: And three months later, Hatton stepped up again. Uh, matched against lefty Southport Dylan Carew for the vacant WBO Intercontinental, light welterweight title. Hatton, Anthony Farnell and Michael Gomez were top of the bill In Halifax. All three were from Manchester. Up and comers. And Hatton went on to stop his late replacement on his feet in the fifth round. So he's starting to gain a bit of traction at this point in the small hall circuit. People are starting to see this kid and he's going there and he's stopping people with body shots. He's winning central area titles and... You know, a lot of people at that point were were certainly starting to make noise about him. And I sort of first discovered him not long after he made his professional debut when I was rocking Ricky Hatton. And I think at this point, even I knew there was something special about this kid. And I think, you know, this guy's going to go on to do well. And in Hatton's next fight, he was caught again by Paul Denton's brother, Mark Ramsey. In a fight that went the six-round distance, Hatton was booed for the first and only time in his career... And he even went on to say in my 48 fight career I think that was probably my worst performance.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and and one I didn't know that uh, Paul Denton was Mark Vance's brother. But yeah, by the sounds of it, it was a bit of a bad one. Got booed, obviously. I believe he felt that um, even the people that had come to watch him being hyped up a little bit. Like he said, Sean, he was the guy that many were talented to, to, to do something and you know if you watched him this night you would have thought who the bloody hell is Ricky Hayden? I and mean, what the bloody hell are you talking about but following the, the four month absence from the ring due to the cuts sustained against Ramsey which was again you know another cut in this fight Hatton returned to his old self stopping his next seven opponents the next seven he went on a, a bit of a surge and got rid of them all so after that really shit performance he came back and, and showed exactly why people were talking about Ricky the way they were and and that was before the British light title shot against John Faxon. Now, this is one fight I do really recall back in October 2000. And basically, in Ricky's own words, I think you, this is it puts the fight into perspective. He basically on to say, it's fair to say that battle with John Faxon at Wembley Arena made me the fighter I became. And that was basically because the first punch that was thrown in that fight from Faxon, Hatton's eye, was ripped open by a right hand and once again Hatton came through the acid test and picked up the vacant British title in the first 12 round fight as well and he proved to many people I think he felt that people were starting to suggest whether he had the stamina and the ability and he had all that he had the heart and his he chin all in this faxton fight
0: two of the nicest men in boxing who put on such a tremendous war for both of us well
1: done Ricky Hatton first of all didn't go according to plan in that first round well no it's you know like happened in Detroit a few fights ago, uh, got caught in like the first the fight had even started and I was caught. And then from the third or fourth round, I was stu- struggling seeing above the eye, so the blood was running into it. So, um, so I was trying, you know, my game is to mix it, but I was trying to use a little bit of distance as well to protect the cut. You know, absolute nightmare again, and uh, have to go and see a specialist again to see if we can. Uh, See what we can do, you know, there's no point in moaning about it. Well, I knew it could go, you know, for 12 rounds, you know, even though the furthest has gone in six, you know, the court was a worry again, but, you know, going back to John, you know, John's done himself, you know, loads of credit, you know, he's he's shown that he's, you know, got a lot more to offer at this weight, and, you know, hopefully, you know, if I can hold on to the title, I can give John a return, you know, I, you know i'll fight you know whoever i'm not wanting to you know duck anybody you know i'm a, I'm a fighter in here as
0: well jim watt says you're coming of age night
1: well yeah it's, it was you know I, I I couldn't have wished for more you know apart from the court going 12 rounds still kept a good pace in the last round i felt so fresh you know bring back the days when they used to go 30 rounds <laughs> honestly I, that, that was that was great i couldn't have wished for anything better than that apart from the court obviously you know you've got john still proved his worth you've got Amy McGee, Shane Neary. You and And you've got me, of course. Lord of the, the dance man. Here, you know. Lord of the dance. <laughs> Lord the dance. I tell you, I'm challenging you. I'm going to take that belt off you, or any belt you well,
2: desire to challenge. On the f- line, for me. I will fight you anytime. I'll tell you what, you've got a brilliant fight. I'll give you full credit for it, all Right? That is bad.
3: Cut's <laughs> bad. You live through it. I'll give you credit for it. But I will destroy you. That Faxon fight. I think for most British fans that followed Ricky Hatton's career will re- remember it fonder because it was an absolute war of attrition. Ricky Hatton had many of these little wars that are well underrated because most of the casual boxing fans these days will only remember Ricky Hatton Probably from getting stopped off Manny Pacquiao so emphatically, and it is sad to say that. But if you look deeper into the career of Ricky the Hitman, and you'll see that the fights like these against John Faxton were the fights that made him into that fighter that he says he became because he needed them tough tests against guys, he needed to be able to go in there and have a real rough and tumble fight. And that that's what I think helped develop his style more so. Going into the the Casterizzo fight, this was one of them fights. Even though it was five years before the fight we're talking about and we're discussing for this legendary night, that was the one fight for me that really epitomised the hitman as he was, and and the way he would rough and tumble with his opponents. So he moved on from there, and he actually went on to win uh, a minor version of a world title. So these are quite minuscule mediocre versions of world titles the WBU was a, a an organisation which was around for a few years back at that period of time and there was a few famous British fighters that actually won the WBU version of a title in their division ricky hatton was one of them winning the light welterweight title in march of 2001 at the wembley conference center having sent opponent tony pep who was 41 7 and 1 to the canvas three times in the process so again he's just starting to look even more better and i think another significant fight in his career leading up to the costas u fight was on april 5th 2003 ricky hatton took on a 39-year-old Vince Phillips who was 44-7-1 at the Manchester Arena in a fight that almost collapsed at the last minute. Now, Vince Phillips was in the changing rooms disputing how much he was going to get paid. He was actually about to walk out of the arena with Aldo Rios warming up as a substitute just in case until Hatton's agent, Paul Speak, run after him and said, Vince, where are you going? Of course, in the end, Vince
2: did eventually make it to the ring. That's <laughs> a crazy one, isn't it? The fact that Eldorius warming up, and even and nobody knew he was going to who was going to come out. I think he even had I believe it would have been Frank Warren that uh, um, he had problems with his kids looking after his kids as well to come over here, and Frank Warren sorted it out. I'm not quite sure what he did. <laughs> Just pay for babysitting. I really don't know, but he made They really struggled to get him out here, and then he literally was arguing over money. I mean, he's 39 years of age. You know, he was. That, to be fair, many would say that was probably, you know, he wasn't as good as he was, but, you know, he was still a good fighter. And and the, the MEN, I mean, Manchester, if you you can watch the fight, I mean, it's buzzing. I mean, even Ricky Atten said that, you know, his fan base was really starting to grow. And this fight was one that the Manchester fans really started to, to get behind. Now, as I say, although Vince was past his best, he was still a good fighter. And the only fighter, of course, to have beaten the reigning champion at the time, which was Costa Zoo. And he actually stopped him in 10 rounds, which we will speak about later on. It was six years earlier. And now Hatton was susceptible to his pinpoint right hand as he tried to sink that left shot to the body. So you can imagine, you know, that's what, that's one thing Hatton tried to do is get in at the body. It's got to leave him susceptible to that right hand over the top. But, you know, he got through it. And it was one point where in the third round, Hatton got cut badly again. And even cuts man Mick Williamson would also admit sometime after that it was the worst cut he'd ever had to deal with in his career at that point. Now, that just shows you the fact that, you know, his career spanned over several decades in the sport. Now, despite the troublesome fourth round, Hatton went on to win a unanimous decision and the scorecards read 120 to 108, 120 to 107, 119 to 109.
0: Congratulations, Ricky! A terrific performance. Did you think you would score a virtual, was- uh, you know, washout against
1: a man of his caliber? Um, you know, I always know, you know, with my power and um, with any big punches, you know, that the fight can go at any chance. And I was always hoping with my body shots and my big shots that I, you know I might get him. But beforehand, I knew the chances are that I probably wouldn't. I mean, 39 years old—that justifies logic. That's just uh, unbelievable. But uh, at times, I should have used my boxing ability. I think I did it at times, but. Uh, You know, I don't like running, you know, what's the point of running? I only just wears your shoes out, I think.
0: (laughs) At the end of the first round, your corner must have told you
1: you had a cut, if you didn't know it before. Did they tell you how bad it was? Um, To be honest, when I get cut now, I don't think nothing about it. I don't, I just, you know, I know it's part and part, you know, it could happen. Uh, It's not happened in my last nine fights, so my strike rate lately, as far as cuts goes, is, uh, is pretty good. But, you know, I think a good sign of a champion is just to let it go over your head. There's no point sulking about it, it's happened, get on with it, you know.
0: Mick Williamson did a terrific job actually in the corner. But now, do you think you're ready right now for the Costa Zoos and the Shamba Mitchell's and the callies of this world?
1: Well I think so, you know. I, uh, who am I to say? I mean you guys who watched it are probably better judges, but I think I did a better job than Shamba Mitchell. He's considered one of the uh, you know one of the top guys out there, so I'd like to think to approve my work, but I need competitive rounds like that, you know. I'm mixing in that level regular in order to, to bring the best out of me. I did it at times, but um, Made hard work of it, but that's an you know, old Ricky Hatton.
3: <laughs> Great win for him against Vince Phillips. Again, good memories of it for me personally. I followed Ricky Hatton's career. I've said it multiple times on our main podcast feed, BTR Boxing Podcast. I've always been a big fan. I watched his career from start to finish. So I remember the Vince Phillips fight as well. And yeah, he was past his best, at just a little bit at this point, but he was still a fighter to sort of show where Ricky Hatton was at, whether he could go in there with a formal. Former world champion, a guy that was able to hang it with some of the big names of the sport and beat a future world champion in costa Zouev. Of course, and and for him to go in there and dominate that fight just kind of shown people that he was ready to step up. Even at that point in 2003, people were arguing that he should step up, and unfortunately, he didn't. So Frank Warren continued to move him through the levels, and in 2004. He stopped Dennis Hallback-Pederson, 44-2 in six. He decisioned Carlos Wilfredo Vilches, who was 41-4-2, two, before two significant stoppage victories over Michael Stewart and Ray Oliveira. Now, the Stewart fight was a turning point for Hatton because that win made him the mandatory for Costa Zoo.
2: It did, and, and Stewart's fighting style was tailor-made for Hatton, who knocked him down with a left hook to the body before finishing him off in the fifth round. With three more of those left hooks in what would put no joke as well. It's a cracking name, Michael No Joke Stewart. He was the only stoppage of his of his career, and you now this guy, 60, 60, over 60 fights. This guy, he had 60 fights. I mean, that that just shows you that Hatton was really starting to prove just how strong he was. And then obviously the uh, the Oliveira fight, the Ray Oliveira fight. So the fight did not need to happen. Basically, there was no need. He won. He beat Stewart. He'd become the, the mandatory challenger for Zune. Now, he could have waited around for several months, waiting for Zuta to, to recover from his surgery on his shoulder. And then he still had a fight against uh, Sharma Mitchell as well coming up. But Hatton decided he wanted to take the gamble, and he decided to fight Ray Oliveira, who was 47-9-2 and two as well. And in the end, the gamble paid off, and it was a perfect preparation for Costa Zoo. He stopped the Tough American at the XL Arena in 10 rounds, once again, becoming the first man to do so in 59 fights. I mean, Ricky Hatton was becoming a real star, and, and, and you know, he was the number one contender for Costa Zoo, and, and that was his next fight. Uh, and interestingly, in this time before Costa Zoo, the MEN in Manchester would become his venue, he'd become his line's den, and he actually had fought there before the Costa Zoo fight 13 times as well, which I thought was quite an interesting little fact to throw in there in, in 38 fights. It was time for Hatton. To really show whether we could cut it against the best.
3: Well, this is where we move into the career of Costa, the Thunder from Down Under Zoo. So let's talk about Costa Zoo's career because I don't think people really appreciate how good of a fighter Costa Zoo was. People I see on social media always talk about this particular fight, Harton versus Zoo, as a, a, a changing of the guard fight because obviously Costa Zoo, people said he was at the end of his career. I mean, I understand why, because of his age, but people will always forget that he was ranked number three in the pound for pound list the previous year in 2004. So at that time when these two got in the ring, he was third best in the world out of all the weight categories. So, Anyway, we'll move on to that a little bit later on. So let's talk about Kostasou. Then, obviously, he's a well-established and accomplished amateur boxer who finished with two hundred and seventy fights under his belt, with a record of two hundred and fifty-nine wins, eleven losses, and no stoppages and no draws, representing the Soviet Union. Now, after winning a gold medal at the nineteen ninety-one World Championships in Sydney, he was approached by local boxing promoters, so he decided to pass up the nineteen ninety-two. Barcelona Olympics in favour of a professional career in Australia. A week later he signed with Australian promoter Bill Morday as his manager and Johnny Lewis as his trainer in Sydney.
2: Yeah, one what an incredible start. I mean the fact that he, I think it's from about 1988 all the way up until when he made his debut in the sort of 90s, early 90s it just shows you that, that Costa Zoo, what was it, 92 so I mean for those four years, I mean, what an accomplished career that is in an amateur, f- I mean it's, it's it's pretty remarkable really one, one thing I didn't necessarily know I knew it was a decent amateur fight but I didn't it was that good and so it was only in his fourth professional fight, which is again, I mean, you talk about people not knowing about his career, he fought the former WBC's overweight champion, won Laporte I mean, I, could, I actually really, really checked this to make sure it was actually the one Laporte, and it was and he outpointed him over 10 rounds I mean, your fourth fight just shows you they fast-tracked him quickly. Now, by his 14th fight, Vu became world champion by knocking out IBF, like, World Away champion, Jake Rodriguez. It was 26-2-2 two two in the sixth round. So, what a, what a great start for Costa
1: Zou. Costa Zou, terrific performance. You've been a fast, early fighter in your career. Did you want to make an early statement in this fight? No, not really. I know it's Jake. is a very really tough boxer. Very good boxer.
2: Professional boxer. That's why I didn't expect anything. It can be anything. And uh, yesterday, he said to me, we'll be friends after fight. Yes, we're all friends.
1: Okay. What did you think? What did you think when you scored such an early knockdown in the beginning and you hit him and he went uh, down? I've got a strong punch, very tough punch. Maybe
2: he didn't expect so quickly to start from me. That's why he, uh, he took this punch. And I'm very happy.
3: What was your emotion when they stopped that? What went through your mind?
2: First of all, now, my mind is, uh, In Australia, my mum, my wife, my son, my sister there. And I say big hello. I love you. Yeah,
3: and he then defended it. The world title, beating former super featherweight and light welterweight world champion Roger Mayweather. The late, recently passed away Roger Mayweather. 54 and 11 he was at the time. Obviously, he is the uncle of Floyd Mayweather Jr. By a decision in 12 rounds... A further three successful defences in 1996 followed before a no contest against Leonardo Mas in January of 1997. Now, something that we alluded to a little bit earlier on when we were talking about Ricky Hatton's career was the mutual opponent they had at the time, which was Vince Phillips. Acosta's only defeat actually came to Vince Phillips in 1997, which was named the Ring Magazine Upset of the year. The fight was broadcast on HBO's After Dark show at the Trump Taj Mahal in Atlantic City, New Jersey. Phillips, who was a complete underdog, managed to pull off a shock and beat the formidable Kostya in 10 rounds, leaving him crushed and in tears. After the loss, Zou was as professional as he ever was and went on to say, I made one mistake and that was I didn't fight well. He fought a better fight than I did.
0: In round nine, Costa zoo and Vince Phillips blowing and landing at just about an equal rate. Right plans. hand buckled zoo inside. Indeed, his knees suddenly came unhinged, and Zo is still wobbling as Phillips goes after it. Vince Phillips on the verge of a big upset here.
2: Zo is out on his feet. Yeah, that's again, I mean, Custard Zoo, and they're both very, sort of, they have that same sense of respect. They they, they always respected their opponents, and, you know, if you lost one, they're man enough to turn around and say, do you know what, I got it wrong. Now, the fact was, he was still only 27 years old. So, the defeat did ruin his chances as well, funny enough, for the lucrative fight of Oscar De La Hoya, which was a fight they were touting. It was looking like he gets through Vince Phillips, the Oscar De La Hoya fight will be next. So it just shows you just how high he had he had become, and you know, fighter on HBO After Dark. So many great fights on that show. I mean, I, 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 there must be a DVD somewhere on HBO After Dark fights because there's so many. So it didn't happen. Basically, it didn't destroy his career. And He who spoke of this difficult time in his career? He said, "You have to decide for yourself what are you going to do. This is the end of your career, or you have to start from scratch." I found the motivation to want to be a world champion again. So 27 years old, he actually debated whether to just retire after one defeat. It's crazy. But he didn't, thankfully. And he got himself back on track for that world title again. He subjected himself to a relentless three-month fitness campaign. So for four weeks, he he did six-hour sessions, exercise sessions. Literally, lived in the gym. He had food, he had the training facility, then a bed all provided for him. And he basically stayed there for these, for four weeks just to get himself in in peak condition. After that, it was literally just sparring for five to six weeks. And then to conclude it, he'd finish it off with training in wherever the venue would be for two weeks. So he really made sure at 27 years old, he's going to get himself in the peak condition Gonna make sure that it didn't happen again.
3: Now, the intense training regime, the hard work and the dedication... All paid off, of course, because he knocked out Ismael Armando Chavez, who was 45 and 3 in three rounds, and then Calvin Grove, who was 49 and 9 in one round, and then Rafael Ruilas 52 and 3 in nine rounds, before a final elimination fight against Dios Bellis Hurtado, 28 and 1. Now, the Hurtado fight had a bizarre opening round with both men hitting the deck Hurtado once <laughs> and two, twice. In the end, Costa ended the contest with a solid left to the liver. So Costa you, as you just rightly pointed out, the intense living the life, the training, the dedication certainly paid off as he certainly made his way back up to the top. And two years after that devastating loss to Phillips, Costa you finally got his shot at the vacant WBC light welterweight title against Miguel Angel Gonzalez, who was 43-1-1. and The Mexicans' only loss came against Oscar de la Hoya. And his draw on his record came against Julio Cesar Chavez Sr. Now, Gonzalez had never been stopped. But in this fight, Costa totally dominated it from start to finish. He beat up his opponent, which resulted in trainer Abel Sanchez stopping the fight. Zou went on to beat a legend of the sport, Julio Cesar Chavez, who had a master record at that point of 103 wins four losses and two draws on his record. (laughs) But at this point it was a fading 37 year old and Zu absolutely crushed the Mexican legend in six rounds.
1: Caster, is it difficult to fight a legend, particularly
2: a man who's passed his prime? Uh, It's not difficult. It's exciting. And I have a big honor to fight against this guy. Uh, I remember myself in amateur days when I was a kid. And he was already world champion. I mean, and now I never thought really that I will fight him. And but we come together. He challenged my title, and uh, I really enjoyed the fight today because uh, uh, I I think I've done good job, good job in uh, I won all rounds in my scorecard, in my (laughs) scorecard. In my view, uh, just. Enjoy it. I mean some of the some see a little bit more game than you might have expected though than you might have expected Yeah, of course one of the things is I expected him to throw in wild punches That's what they always do and I just block them easy I mean, uh, I mean some, you have to miss some time you have to get the punch sometime, but uh, look I'm clean face is clean. He gave me a few times on the balls uh, He had me <laughs> a few times uh,
0: Polite way of saying it. I guess not so polite, huh? <laughs>
2: I think it's polite <laughs> because they're still alright. <laughs> that career is just nuts, isn't it? 100 straight say, Well, I mean, yeah, he was 37 years old, but yeah, he did absolutely maul him in six rounds. And then on November three, two thousand and one, this is around the time now after you know pick out the world title, beating Chavez, and he was sort of in in and around the top ten of that pound for pound list. And in two thousand and one, at the MGM Grand in Vegas, against the undefeated Zab Judah. We all know Zab Judah, 27-0. and 0. Zoo was savage. Now, the cocky Judah actually described, this was before the fight, he actually described himself as a Mercedes-Benz boxer and Zoo a Toyota. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> he got punished for saying that and he got punished inside two rands and it was brutal. I was suggesting, if one hasn't seen it, go and have a look at what cost Zoo's bag bat against Zab Judah. He absolutely demolishes him and he becomes a WBA super, WBC, IBS, the ring and the lineal light welterweight champion. Now, a certain Ricky Hatton was in attendance that night in Vegas and did reminisce. And I've got a quote from him. And he said, Billy Graham, who was of course, Ricky Hatton's trainer. He said, Billy Graham and I, we went to see Zou Judah to fight at the MGM Grand. Now they were hung over. They basically the fight went out on the piss, So they were hung over and checking out the MGM, checking out the MGM Grand, when we saw a group of black team Costa tracksuit and t shirts standing nearby. So I introduced myself, I congratulated him politely on his win, and I said, I've just got in the top 10. I think I'll fight you in a few years. And shocked and probably embarrassed for me as much as himself, Costa Zoo said, oh, All right, nice one. He must have thought, Who's this fucking drunk? Ricky Anderson. said, he yeah, actually said I must... I was literally... He could smell the alcohol I wanted. He must have been stinking the gaff out. He must have thought, who's this crazy drunk Brit that's going to fight me in a few years? But, yeah, just an interesting little note there. Ricky and Billy got on the piss after the fight and went over and had a chat with Costa Zoo.
3: <laughs> So Costa Zoo originally unified the WBA <laughs> Super and the WBC titles against Shambay Bay Mitchell back in 2001 due to Mitchell having to retire after suffering a knee injury. But just before the Hatton fight... They fought a second time when Mitchell was 55-3. and free. But Costas, you absolutely bashed him up in three rounds. And even though he'd been out of the ring 22 months following the shoulder surgery, it was just, wasn't well, a nice sight to see. I think it was way past his best. And I think at this point now, it sets you really, really nice up for the fight that we're talking about. Costas versus Ricky Hahn. And there's only one place we can really start now at this point. And it's the build-up, of course. The build-up to this particular fight. We've got to remember, at this point in time, as I said earlier, Kosuzu, pound-for-pound, number three, world's best at the end of 2004. So going into this fight in 2005, although he was older, although people considered him to be an aging champion, he was still a dominant force in the division. And he was still probably the toughest champion to go in against in the division for Ricky Hatton, when you go to Costa Zoo, then you got to look at him. He's a dominant and feared champion, an established force among the top pound for pound fighters in the world. Sky actually had him at number two, just behind Bernard Hopkins. He was the first man to unify the lightweight division in thirty years, and at thirty-five years old, he'd been the champion for more than a decade, and was considered a national hero in Australia. Yes, of course, there were other titles and other champions in the division, as we were saying, but Zoo was the number one light welterweight without question.
0: Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting.
2: Sometimes, of course, you think what I'm in mean, 35. What else are you gonna do? But uh, I'm blocking these things, thoughts completely. I'm thinking what to do to win the fight and how to do it properly. I am in my tunnel. I'm walking through my tunnel, and gonna be hundred thousand people around me. I won't see it. I won't feel it because I'm already in myself. I'm gonna be so focused that uh, nothing gonna bother me.
0: You ready to go? I am. Prediction?
3: Uh, great fight.
2: Great, great fight! Entertainment from first second to the last.
0: And Kostya Stu will remain the world light welterweight champion. This one here, no doubt.
2: This one here. Ah, oh, he absolutely was. And and Sky, I mean, just before the fight, there was a, the whole fight is on YouTube. You can you can basically watch all the build up and Sky throughout there, paying for Eastern Benard at number one and and Kostasu was number two. Floyd so, Mayweather, I think, was a junior, was around four or five. I mean, he wasn't even anywhere near the top three so costa was the man quite clearly as you said he was he was the man to be and ricky hatton of course was still unproven so understandably he was a massive underdog coming into the fight but he was on home soil with a crowd behind him which gave him an advantage although he also had the potential of it becoming an hindrance, you know especially if the fight doesn't go his way he freezes on the big stage you know the crowd are going to Certainly, probably not, but, you know, it, you know what I mean. His arse could go, as he, as he loves to say. The evening before the fight, a taxi pulled up outside Hatton's house. The driver came to the door and presented him with a glass case. Inside, with a glove from his professional debut, and a couple of pictures of his fight against Kid McCauley. Now, there was also a picture of Ricky and Billy Graham from that night, and a small engraved plaque which read, Dear Ricky, I always knew this day would come. Love you, Billy. <laughs> so he said in the last class cabinet just before the night before the fight
0: jeff lacy ronald winky wright and diego corrales and uh, you're thinking you're coming up aren't you to the light welterweight division maybe tackling the winner of uh, ricky hatton cost it, it's never nothing it's not part of my mind you know i love great fights i love the great challenge and and either one of those guys would be a great challenge so it's not far from my mind Ronald Winkie ride, of course, the masterclass over Felix Trinidad recently. Enjoy that one?
2: Oh, I enjoyed it a lot, you know what I mean? It was, it was a long time coming, and I'm glad I gave the fans what they wanted to see.
0: Are you excited to be back in Britain? I mean, the fans love you for when you came over, and you've got Hatton's you tonight.
2: Looking forward to it. Yes, yes, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to this fight. It's going to be a great fight. I'm glad to be back here. I fought here a couple of times, and, uh you know, the fans was always greeting to me, so I'm just happy to be here.
0: Jeff Lacey, of course, you got to fight Robin Reed, another Brit, maybe Joe Calzaghi later in the year. And uh, maybe do what Winky did, take out some of our Brits. I'm just following the footsteps of my boy right here. We're just going to keep doing it. You're looking forward to tonight. Do you think uh, our man Ricky Hatton can pull this off? Ricky got his hands full tonight.
2: He's going to go out there and really establish a good jab and really get the, um, the confidence in his boxing ability. And later perhaps take him into the later rounds and win a unanimous decision. So,
3: Hatton continued with his fight day tradition. This was something that was always very famous for, for us in Manchester. We we loved to see how down to whatever guy he was. And he'd always continue with the same tradition. He'd get pissed after the fight, but before the fight, and every <laughs> single fight morning, he would go for a full English at the Body Box Café, even though strength and conditioning coats, Kerry Kays, the famous Kerry Kays, grimaced with every single bite as he sat <laughs> on the same table as him, Hatton actually said of this ritual, from a mental point of view, it just makes me feel better to have a little bit of grease in me. <laughs> that just, um, just epitomises uh, Ricky Hatton's lifestyle outside of the ring, for sure, in that, in that quote right there. Hatton was within the weight comfortably at the official weigh-in, and 12 hours before the fight, the IBF checked Wade Hatton while at home on the day of the fight just to make sure he had not exceeded 10 pounds of the 10 stone weight limit. And Hatton, as we as we know throughout his career, always had trouble ballooning up in between fights and something that he, he did go on to, to really struggle with in the later end of his career. Now, I've got a few pre-fight quotes for this one that's been pulled together. So, Ricky Hatton comments on why he decided to fight Zoo. ...and not anybody else. There were other good champions at my weight... ...like Vivian Harris and Shanbei Mitchell... ...but I wanted Zoo because he was the best. I think Frank, as in Frank Warren... ...tried to talk me out of it... ...because I was the number one contender for Harris... ...but I was adamant that I wanted this fight. Costa Zoo was someone that I looked up to... ...because he was a class act from start to finish. He had well over 200 amateur fights... ...with 259 wins and 11 losses... ...and the guy was just a complete punching machine... He'd flattened top opponents like Zab Judah and Shambay Mitchell with ease. So he was the man to beat. I think Ricky's getting better and better. He's a tremendous strength he's shown in his last few performances. And I think he's got a great chance in front of his own crowd.
0: I think that uh, Hatton has got to make the fight. He's got to go forward. And he's not difficult to hit. And when he tries to throw the left hook to the body, which is his best punch, over will come that terrific right hand that Zoo possesses. And that's when it'll be all over. The big one, Ricky, if he doesn't get hit,
2: going back. It's not going forward. I
0: think the big problem is going back with his hands down, smiling, 22,000 people roaring. That's what he can get caught. It really got a making of a wonderful fight for Great Britain. Um, if Ricky can get over the first five or six rounds, I think he's got a wonderful opportunity, but he's going to go through hell for the first five or six rounds. But I really, in my heart, would love to see it. Almost all of my colleagues give Ricky Hatton no chance. I don't feel that way. Maybe because I've been here before and seen him and seen the energy that flows when he fights. I give him a real good chance. He has to get inside, stay inside, take away Zo's advantages, set a fast pace, and fight the fight of his life. I think he's capable of doing it.
2: And that just shows you, just, again, you know, Frank Warren... Trying to say to him, you know, you've got an easier option here. You could pick up a title. But Ricky Hatton being Ricky Hatton saying, nah, I want want to take the main man. I want to prove to everybody that I'm the man once I've beaten him. Uh, You know, you've got to give him credit for that. And and, and a lot of people thought he was wrong to do so. A further comment, Ricky Hatton actually commented on, obviously, Costa Zoo. And this was just on the fight, the up-and-coming fight. And he said, of course, it's going to be hard. He has been the best fighter in the division for all the time I've been professional, I've watched him so many times and have studied what he can do. In fact, I've seen him so often that I'm sick of the sight of him. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody talks about his big right hand, which is a danger punch, but he's more, much more than that. He's hard, tough and strong. He will come out and try to dominate the ring, but I'm ready for that. Whatever he does, I am ready for. But the question is, can he cope with what I am bringing? You can worry too much about an opponent. It is important that I'm absolutely right. Let him worry about me. Because I know that if I do everything I can, I will win. And Ham was very confident. And he was right to be so.
3: You look at Costa's in the build-up to it. And he was very respectful. He didn't really have too much to say. But what he did say... In the lead up to the Hatton fight was. I'm a versatile fighter. I can do loads of different things. And that's a danger for my opponents. Because they don't know what to expect. I have been boss for so many years. And I will be boss there. As in Manchester. I'm just going to move into a little bit more of. uh, What made this fight so compelling at this moment in time. So the extra detail that went into it was. First and foremost. The fact that it was staged at 2am local time. So. Our time, 2am in the morning, is not something we expect to watch a fight on British soil at. But they did that to accommodate the TV company Showtime, who was broadcasting it on their primetime television over in America, of course. So it was a part of the deal, getting Zoo over to Manchester. Plus, the champion got a larger share of the purse for conceding the home advantage. So, obviously, money would have been a factor in it. And then all these little niggly negotiations that went on, we all had to stay up till two o'clock in the morning to watch a fighter in our home city, in our home country, fight at two o'clock in the morning, which was absolutely Mental. ridiculous. But at the time, we didn't think of it like that because we thought of how big the fight was. We didn't think about all the negotiation, the little niggly things that go on, and, and champions' advantages and all the rest of it. And, and this is something that, you know, even looking back on now in hindsight, I can kind of understand why they did what they did because they wanted to get him over here, because they wanted that advantage of being in the cauldron of the Manchester Evening News Arena. No, Hatton's WBU title was not at stake, which I'm not surprised because it was a pretty joke of a title, to be honest. It was just the IBF title that was at stake in this particular fight and understandably, Kosuzu was a one to two favourite with Stan James having been two to five on, while Hatton's odds had been shortened on the day before the fight from five to one for six to four. So wow. the general consensus at the time was that Costa Zou is probably going to walk away the victor. Hatton may be able to put on a really, really good show and rise his stock. But I think most Mancunians felt like this was going to be Ricky Hatton's night.
0: Russell Crow here, who, uh, of course, is playing James Braddock in the uh, Cinderella Man story, and you trained alongside Costius You back home. What did you learn from him? I uh, l- learned a hell of a lot from Costus You. He's probably one of the most formidable athletes that I've ever come across. You know, his training regimen is second to none, and uh, he taught me a lot. He, and he also very kindly allowed me to begin to explore the mental side of boxing, you know, which is uh, even a significant as significant as the physical side. Angelo Dundee calls Costa Zoo the best pound for pound fighter he has ever seen in his life. And he's seen a few fighters. Well, I think the most, the cleverest thing that Ricky Hatton has done is uh, not tried to beat Costa Zo with words because that never works. Just ask Sean Bay Mitchell and just ask Zab Judah. You call him fat and old and you're going to die. The greatest thing about Ricky, and it's increased my respect for him tenfold as well, is he knows who he's fighting, you know, and I'm sure he's done the preparation and he's got good men around him, so it's going to be a fight tonight, mate. But I tell you what, in my heart, it's got to be KT,
2: mate. I think so. I think many people did. I, I, being a fan of Ricky, I hoped that he was going to win. It. I didn't know that much about crosses I knew he was a now, the way they were talking about it, in my brief, we had a, a look, you know, it wasn't as easy as it was. I mean, 2005, I think there was YouTube, I believe there was. I, I probably had seen odd bits in the lead-up to it, but I knew it was going to be a tough night for him, so I wasn't surprised. But, I mean, the one thing is, 2 a.m. in the morning, we had 22,000 tickets that, you know, they sold in just five hours for this fight, which is just mental, considering that that start time. And it's just it's just funny. It just shows you just death the following he had. And not only... Well, Manchester behind their hero, but obviously a nation was rooted behind Hatton, rooting for Hatton as well. While the rest of the world were just paying attention, they were you know they had this time, they put this time this slot in for 2am just so America could get out of it and watch these fights.
1: I'm happy because it's a fight. I know I can. I'm well capable of winning. I hope to not only do myself, my family, and my friends proud. You know, do the country proud. It's great when. We have British fighters winning world titles. And hopefully, you know I'm going to, you know, do a lot for for British boxing, not only for you know for myself. We all want to become a world champion, and, but not many people get the chance to be the number one in the division, and I've got that opportunity. And believe you me, you know, have faith in me. I'm going to do it.
2: So just before the fight, there was a nervous energy in the air, and Hatton could feel it. Now it was completely out of the blue. An old opponent came bursting into the changing. So this is just before the fight. They were in the change room. And his old opponent was Eamon McGee and an Northern Irishman that went the distance three years earlier in the same venue in in Manchester. The same guy that got under Hatton's skin so much, he actually hated him. He disrespected Ricky by saying, you're only a kid and I've sparred better people than you. Uh, You're in with a man. So it really upset Ricky. That was the first time anyone ever said anything like that, disrespecting like that. But he came charging through into the dressing room and he gave Hatton a prep talk and, This is basically what Hatton says in his book. And he says, so McGee said to him, don't listen to all those that have written you off. Don't listen to that. You're going to get beat. You're going to get knocked out and all this and all that. Zoo's not fault anyone like you. Let's see how he does when you get stuck into him like glue. Let's see how he copes. If he doesn't get you, it's over. Believe it. And basically that prep talk Hatton says was exactly what I needed to hear. He inspired me. Against Zoo, and that was for sure. So interestingly, an old opponent that he didn't like came in, ended up being mates for years after. But it was a nervous energy in that change room, and he was he was getting votes. You know, people were saying to him, "Come on, you can do this." And you could, but he, there wasn't no there wasn't no confidence behind it. And although he was confident, even Billy were confident in their game plan. I think his prep talk just reassured him and put him in a good place just before he stepped out into the ring
3: yeah again it's a story that maybe not a lot of people know of Is the Eamon McGee story of him coming into the changing rooms just before the fight and it's a really really good story because when you see what Hatton goes to do in this fight and as we talk about very shortly it kind of does make a lot of sense in, in hindsight looking back on it that someone give him that final word of advice that final pep talk that he needed to to get himself so psyched up to to be ready for such a battle that he was going into now this particular fight did actually bring quite a few people over to Manchester there was quite a few people that were interested in being over to to see this fight for various reasons Ronald Winky Wright who had recently defeated Felix Trinidad was over Diego Corrales who had just performed a miracle in his first war with Jose Luis Castillo and Jeff Lacey were all introduced to a frenzied crowd, and even the Australian actor Russell Crowe was in the crowd, rooting for Zoo, of course, and was booed throughout by the Manchester crowd. <laughs> now, I hadn't spoke of this nervous tensions in the changing room before the fight, and he also mentioned just how loud it was in making his way to the ring. I got in the ring, and you'd have thought there was a speaker underneath it because it was vibrating, and I kept telling myself, don't let your ass go now. <laughs>
2: Oh, I love that. Oh, I love him. <laughs> class. Absolute class. So, we get into the fight and the fight itself, obviously, now Ricky, speaking of his entrance. He was nervous. I think a lot of people were. I'm sure you probably was as well, Sean, being in the crowd. I was nervous. I wasn't sure really what to expect. You know, we were getting the views of all the pundits and many were backing him, but still reluctantly and obviously, the, the primary of the night was Frank Warren. It was broadcast on Sky Sports, box office, and on Showtime and also in Hungry Sport 1 which is, Quite an interesting one. Obviously, at the MEN Arena in Manchester. And the referee was Dave Paris. And the title was line. Well, the title was IBF. Although it, does, it doesn't does go into to the ring and linear. I don't know if it was given to him after or not. I'm not quite sure what, what that was all about. But, you know, the IBF was the title that was at hand. And, and we was ready to, to get this one underway. So, we start off then rounds number one and
3: number two. And the game plan was going to be quite obvious, I think, before the fight. It was that he needed to... He needed to stick with Costa Zoo. He needed to be there on Costa Zoo as A McGee said, like glue. And that's exactly what he did. He, he came out and what he said was, pre-fight, the power in his punch came at the end of the shot. It exploded when his hand was stretched. It wasn't a short right hand. He'd have to have it extended. Therefore, the aim for Ricky Hatton was to get in tight by jabbing and moving quickly and getting some early body shots in. Billy Graham and Ricky knew that by being close, it wouldn't allow the space for Kostya to extend his arm, which took the sting out of the shot. And Hatton did precisely what they had strategised in their 12-week training camp. And he won the first two rounds in aggressive style. And obviously, round number two, at the end of round number two, I remember it very fondly, Hatton is seemingly starting to boss the fight very early on and all the crowds start breaking into a chant of,
2: "Easy." He's a, he's a, <laughs> yeah. And uh, Ricky did even sound his book. And when he went back to his calling at the crowd, he thought, "Hold on a bit, <laughs> Get a little bit here, kind of thing." He was like, "And he's there, he's thinking, settled down. We've still got a long way to go." But uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was looking good basically, and it, like the game plans worked quickly, and and obviously Kozu was a bit of a slow star. So uh, the, the champion, you know, Kozu, he rallied back. Through rounds three to five, and uh, he started to settle into a bit of a rhythm, and he was able to time his counter punches. Now, he picked Hatton off with a jab and right hands, and and his punch, he was much he, his punch volume was was higher. He started to throw more shots, and that was basically due to Ricky Hatton's high pressure and being in so close. But Hatton Hatton did land a few hurtful body shots in the first there. Uh, Hatton said. He's not going to maintain this in his head. That's what he said, uh, and basically he felt that if he keeps putting him under pressure, although at this point now going into sort of three, four, and five, you you've got Costa Zeus starting to find a bit of space when he can, but he's having to throw more shots. It's something that he hadn't had to do, and and it wasn't. It was sort of roughly around this time as well when he started to panic a little bit. Hatton, he started to worry because obviously Costa Zeus now starting to bank in a few of the rounds. And he felt that the fight was running away from him. So when he went back to his corner, sort of in sort of the fifth or the fourth round, Billy said to him, don't worry, keep on him. He will eventually break. You're working him harder than he has had in the last three or four years. He said, it's working. And Zoo did land a big right hand in that fifth as well. I remember when I was watching it, it was, a, it was a great shot. But Hatton, I mean, it's a, another great moment in the fight is when he does land that big right hand. Hatton drops his hands and just shouts, come on! And it just marches forward uh, and, <laughs> and, and that was I think that was just the mindset that Hammond was in no matter what he even said that shot hurt him but he was no way he was going to go down in his fight
3: no it was it was one of them performances that will always be remembered for just the sheer tenacity and he was I always say it's like it was destined to be that moment and it certainly was for Ricky Hatton now we're going to round six between six and eight and He'd managed to restore his composure at this point, Ricky Hatton, to continue with the game plan of smothering Kosuzu, which at times, of course, did look messy, did look a little bit reckless, but there was always a method to the madness in that performance against Koscizou. The sixth was a close round, which could have been scored either way, although Hatton took the early part of it, coming out like a train. There can't be any arguments that Hatton took the next two rounds, though. As you could see at this point, the 35-year-old Costasou had started to feel the pace and become frustrated. He knocked Hatton to the canvas in the closing stages of the seventh with what was an illegal low blow, and the stadium were belting out, "There's only one Ricky Hatton." Yeah, he
2: was the—he was getting frustrated, there, and you, you could see it. You know, he had never fought at this pace before in his whole career. He needed space. He needed, you know, if, if if Hatton had gone in there and gone jab for jab, this fight at this point probably wouldn't have been at this stage. I don't think. Hatton, I know Hatton for certain. He knew that the game plan had to be to get in close, just to as he said, you know, the big shots were always the, the they weren't the short ones. They were the ones at the end of the shot. They were the hurting ones. You know what you see against Zab Judah. I would urge anyone going watch a Zab Judah fight because you know exactly what Hatton's talking about with that power at the end of the shot. So into round nine and. Obviously, there was a few deliberate blows in six, in between six and eight, from Costa Zoo. But you know, Dave, he, Dave, pass the referee. He didn't, he didn't do anything about it. So Hatton did respond, and he responded in round nine with a deliberate low blow <laughs> on Costa Zoo, and he was warned again after Zoo was warned in the ninth himself. So Hatton recalled the moment in an interview with Ring Magazine with Doug Fisher, and he did say that Costa had landed three or four low blows. And there had been no point deduction. So I thought, if I hit him with one, the referee can't take points away straight away. I really sunk that one in. And the referee, Dave Paris, was in an awkward position because all he could do was warn me. <laughs> 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 so I think that's one thing we've had. You were seeing the fight. He says it himself. Anything, if it's got to do with him in the back of the head, in the back again. If he hits him low, he's going to hit him low. If he's inside and he's holding him, he's going to hold him back. He was just doing anything. But he, he was beating into everything. He was just. He was just so assertive. He was the, the youngster against, you know, the guy that was the experience. And and Hatton was just manning him at points. Like, especially when they were in close. Like you say, that like an old BT phone booth, it was literally like that. He was inside. He was trying to get the body shots in, taking away that right hand. Although Kossu did have a left hand as well. We see that in his other fights. But he was really starting to to play with Costa Zoo around this point
3: going into round 10. So in round 10, it looked like Hatton had caught his second wind and he went straight after Zou, although the champion did have his own little burst and landed a six-punch combination, which all landed on Hatton, but the sting from his punches at this point seemed to have gone as Hatton had absorbed them pretty well. And in fact, the rally looked like it seemed to have taken more out of Zoo than it did out of Hatton, strangely enough, who also knew the fight was turning in his favour. And he actually said... I think he's ready for the taking now, Billy. He's just come out of the clinch there when we was grappling inside, and he just felt weaker. And for much of the tenth, the crowd could sense there was a shift, as they were unable to hold their excitement. So at this point, everybody's just going absolutely bananas in the Manchester <laughs> Arena. It's, we, you know, we're all loving it. It's amazing, amazing atmosphere at that moment in time, and you could feel and sense in the air that that something was coming.
2: Did you say so you? I'm just just curious now. When you was watching that fight, did you feel that he's going to stop him, or did you just feel that he had done enough? He's going to win at some point.
3: I think he was going to stop him. I do. He looked like he was going to stop yeah. him. And I think as as you move into round number eleven now, when you describe round number eleven, Johnston,
2: when you describe
3: yeah. it now, this is exactly sort of how I was feeling at the time.
2: So yeah, in round eleven, there was a back and forth in which both fighters did take punishment, but Hatton was clearly starting to hurt Zoo. And he was getting the better of the exchanges, I felt. I mean, he, he was clear to see at this point, because with the low blows, he was trying everything he possibly could. And then the body punch that landed on Zoo following another burst, it looked like it took the wind out of his tails. It really did. Because took it, he took it, and he sort of had a bit of a poker face on it. And you could see that he was really, Hatton was the stronger man in there at this point. And as both fighters were about to do battle for that last round, because as though he failed to emerge from his corner
0: Zou is in survival mode at the moment just waiting for the bell to finish this round can't really muster anything everything they worked on in that Phoenix gym or a lot of it anyway has paid off he's had to come through some bad moments but they knew that too one round left
2: one
1: round left, Pat has landed more punches. Jim, how are you scoring this fight now with I three
0: years to go? I have Hatton back
1: in front again. I had him in front after the first two
0: rounds. Then for me, the quality of the champion's punches got him in front, I have Hatton one point off. Oh, but I wouldn't be surprised if the
1: judges have been impressed with Hatton's aggression, and they have it further. That's my scorecard there, 105-104. All he needs is one more good round, and he's done the unbelievable. That was just at the slipping
0: of the canvas, but quite rightly, Ricky took full advantage of that. I think they've retired them. There's something going on in the corner. Let's have a look. Let's have a look here. Dave Parrish is talking. The shoe's going really over. The dream is made real. Ricky Hart rocks the world with a truly stunning win over a modern legend. He is the champion of the world. The headman really has arrived in
2: the big time. His trainer, Johnny Lewis, decided he had had enough, his man had enough and he threw in the towel. And there is actually um I, I think it was an American station that I will call it on, but you can actually see the corner and there is a bit of a problem in there. I don't f think Johnny Lewis had cost falling out after this. Johnny called it, he said, I don't want you to take no more and uh, you could sort of see Zoo shaking his head, but you weren't sure if he was shaking it to say that enough i we shaking his head because he was disappointed that Lewis threw in the towel, but it was it was Johnny Lewis that made the decision. He was the guy in the corner. He knew Costa Zou better than anyone else, and he felt that Hatton had basically taken the life out of him and he couldn't come out for that last round.
3: Yeah, it's absolutely mental. Mental, unbelievable. And I think um, the funny quote that Hatton mentions about this particular moment is, at the end of that 11th round, he turns around to, to Billy Graham and says, I'm finished, I've got fuck all left. <laughs> <laughs> typical like, typical Hatton, that. He's just he's, he's so... It reminds me very much of um, other instances of fights like this that have gone down in history, where you know the guy that has ended up going on to win has been the one that's turned round just before winning the fight and said, I can't do this, I can't come out for this next round, or I'm absolutely knackered. And this was another example of that. So, of course, Hatton was massively relieved when Costa Zou pulled out. And in the emotional scene, the Manchester crowd roared as Hatton broke down in tears of joy in a moment that he and Billy Graham will never forget. And a night they proved many critics wrong.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launcher Online Shop stage... That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: Manchester! I always said I'd be number one. And you know what? You, me loyal fans, deserve it as much as me. We did it together tonight. And I tell you what, there's only one word I can use for your support tonight, and that was legendary. God bless you all. Me I mean it.
2: Yeah, it really was. I mean, so many were really against Hatton. They really just did not think he had enough. I mean, they felt that he hadn't had enough experience and thought had, his resume wasn't good enough for a guy like Crosses. Crosses was just going to pick him off and, and he was tailor-made for him because of those left hooks to the body, I suppose. They they didn't think that Hatton had the stamina to keep with him. As you say, the weight issues is always something that people did criticise him for. And in this performance, for me, I mean, for many, he's generally regarded... As the peak Ricky Hatton of his career, his stamina and the heart he displayed in that fight is basically now legendary. And uh, it will also be a night that us British boxing fans and fans of boxing generally will never forget. And, you know, quite simply thank you, Ricky, for that night. What a brilliant display from him.
3: Absolutely a brilliant display. And just as an after-fact after, after facts there, the three judges scorecards were 105, 104, 106, 103 and... One o seven, one o two, to Ricky Hatton. Now, post-fight interviews, Koshizu was the first to praise his conqueror by saying, "I have nothing to be ashamed of. I lost to the better fighter." And Hatton, in turn, praised the dethroned champion. If I can be half the champion Zou is, I'll be doing very well. He's not a champion. He's a champion and a half. I've become a champion, and now I want to become a great one. He also said, "People will make up their own mind about what is the greatest win in a British boxing ring." But the fact it's up there as one is enough for me.
2: Quality. Uh, And, you know, again, Costa Zoo doing what he, you know, he was quite a professional. He accepted the defeat. And I think at this point he felt that, you know, he had gone as far as he could possibly go in his prime. Sort of, as you say, it was like a hand over the torch. I suppose I could see why people would say that. And uh, Hatton was the new guy on the block. And he was the man that had now taken all the marbles. And he was now considered, after beating, the best man in the division the best fighter. And obviously, the aftermath of it all was Kostu did retire after an illustrious career and he's still loved by Sydney to this day. The fight formed one of two fights. So the other was against Carlos Musa for Hatton that brought Hatton an award for the 2005 Ring Magazine Fighter of the Year. Hatton went on to beat such names, obviously, we'll we'll go afterwards. I mean, his career, he beat, you know, Jose uh, Luis Castillo and Paul Imaginale. So we all know that Hatton obviously went on Costa Zoo did obviously decide to call it a day. And he did have a, actually meet, a chance meeting. I'm, I'm not quite sure when it was. He had an interview and, and Ricky. So Costa told Ricky, you won that with a low blow. And Ricky just responded, you lying fucker. You hit me with four of them. <laughs> and then Ricky went on to say, he's a great guy. When when we do meet up, he's good, humoured, fun. And when you win a world title from a champion of that calibre, you just want that type of sportsmanship in the end. It's just a great story. I mean, what, what what a great, great time it was for Ricky Hatton at this time. He was, at this point, in the peak of his career.
3: Yeah, he was at the peak of his career, the pinnacle of his career at this point. This, For many Ricky Hatton fans, including myself, do believe this was his greatest night. This was his defining night. This was the night that left the legacy on the sport, which is why we're doing it as a legendary night. Probably people that listen to the podcast for America feel... You know How does this constitute a legendary night? I think as British-based podcasters, for us, this is legendary because this this marked the career of Ricky Hatton. This led on to the fights with Carlos Mauser, Juan Harango, Jose Luis Castillo, obviously Floyd Mayweather, Manny Pacquiao, Pauli Malinage. all these victories, all the defeats, the agonising nights, the, the nights of ecstasy. It was just unbelievable. I mean, who can forget... The Floyd Mayweather build-up. Who can forget twenty thousand fans going over to Vegas who didn't even have a ticket to go into the arena that night just to be there to support Hatton in Vegas? That's what he created, and this night was the defining night that led on to all these many, many other different nights that we had for Ricky Hatton. And it was as a fan, it was an unbelievable atmosphere to be in, and we cover these legendary nights every single week. And for me. All these fights that we've covered, I could sit there and say... I would love to go back and sit in any one of them at the ringside... But I'll be honest with you... Uh, for, for me, this, this won't top any of them... Because I was there, I lived through it... And I think as a person... When you get to live through a moment like that... I think it will trump any other moment in history... Because you wasn't able to live through it... And this was that moment for me... And I might never get that moment with a with a fighter again... And boy... I clinged on to that moment, and the memories of it are just unbelievable. So this was an absolute epic night, and in their March 2010 issue of the Ring magazine, they actually ranked Costa as the number one junior welterweight of the noughties on Hatton, who was listed as their number two, so Costa was actually voted for by the Ring magazine's esteemed writers as their number one junior welterweight of the 2000s ahead of Hatton, who really was the second half of the 2000s, of course. So his light welterweight career, really. Probably Pinnacle was between 2005 to 2007, all the build-up to it really didn't really come to fruition until this night and, and all the big victories didn't come until he beat Costazu. This was his defining night, but we can't forget about them nights against Mauser and Juan Harango and you know all the victories that he did go on to get and then his dabbling in the welterweight to division. For me, absolutely legendary night and one that I've thoroughly enjoyed covering for obvious reasons.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean I as I say I myself, um it was just it had that feel of that magic night that, that big Big British fight and and Hatton basically, uh, I'm just well pleased that he, he managed to prove everyone everyone wrong. And he even said afterwards, like after the press conference, uh, he, he loved the fact to get all the all the guys that doubted him, all in all the press, sitting in press row after that fight, and he could talk to him afterwards. He absolutely enjoyed that bit. Then going out, obviously getting on getting on it, getting pissed as he as he did. And he said even at sort of ten o'clock in the morning when he emerged from the after party, that there was still fans just sort of clamouring up lampposts and jumping around it was like someone won the World Cup that's how we felt Uh, they had that feeling about it for him and obviously you know the Mayweather won again I I always felt that that the world weight division was just too much for him and and clearly Mayweather was too big and I just think that was the problem now I think if they had fought in a lower weight class I think it would have been a a different fight I'm not saying Ham would have won it but I think it would have not been a lot closer than it was but he did have some great nights and the other one was the Senchenko has already come out of retirement I mean I, I did feel that I hope that he would get that win that night and he even said in Manchester that he, he still feels that that night against Senchenko was the greatest the most the noises he had have, ever heard the Manchester Arena so quite interesting there but obviously his greatest night has Costa Zou.
3: yeah it absolutely is and I thoroughly enjoyed covering it and I know you have because it's one that is a a fight that we've genuinely had the opportunity to, to live through and enjoy it in its entirety. So I hope, as fans and as listeners, you've also enjoyed this little trip down memory lane back to 2005 when Ricky Hatton made his big statement to the world, beating Koschecku for the IBF light welterweight championship of the world. Of course, if you have enjoyed listening to it, please let us know on social media at Legend Night Pod. On Twitter and the BTR Boxing Podcast Facebook pages there, go and drop us a note on there and some feedback when the episode has dropped and you've listened to it. If you've not already subscribed to the podcast, you can do so by checking us out on any available podcast net like Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spreaker, Stitcher, any of them that are out there, just search for Legendary Nights and you will find this podcast and all the variety of episodes from years gone by that we've got. We really hope you've enjoyed this tale of Kostya Zoo versus Ricky Hatton.
1: And right now, Thomas Burns is an open book for Ray Leonard. Backs up against the
0: ropes. This is one of the most unusual calls by a referee in the history of the sport. The first loss. A tremendous victory. Leonard fighting
2: off the ropes. It happened. It happened. The recovery.